Hello, uh, and it's that time again, and my name is Paul Waite, and this is Aspen Waite Media, and specifically, it's Aspen Waite History, bringing you part four of our epic eight-part series about the birth of the English nation. And as usual, I'm joined by the great charismatic Viking, whose, whose beard is getting more and more Viking every day, second <laughs> Uh, the new father, very overprotective and loving, a bit mad actually, that is Callum Waite, Callum Paulson. And how are we today, Callum? And how is Evelyn? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, chat. Um, Evie is fine. She's upstairs with her mother. How are you? Is she not studying quadratic equations or anything useful? She has been this morning, but I thought I'd give her a little little break. So she's drinking some milkies for a while. I think what is quite remarkable, which shows how how brilliantly intelligent the weights are, that um, Evelyn's first ever spoken word was omnomatopoeic, which is um, quite remarkable for a baby, actually. Um, so, I love that. Yes. Anyway, so enough of this uh, idle chit-chat and a serious history program that we're supposed to be running. So yeah. um, set the scene. Uh, the, the year is 899. The great King Alfred has just died. Uh, it's very interesting because um, um, if you actually look at um, how history is portrayed, um, particularly, for instance, on the Vikings and uh, the Last Kingdom, which we make continued reference to, Bernard Cornwall's great books, um, it rather gives the appearance that um, when Alfred died, everything was quite smooth and, and, and harmonious, uh, which in fact was far from the case. And it's also uh, true to say that uh, the two people we're particularly going to feature today, um, the remarkable lady called Ethelfled, uh, otherwise known as Lady of the Mercians, and her brother, younger brother, uh, Edward the Elder, um, are not are not largely written into history as, as much as they should. And in fact, Ethelfled herself was deliberately written out of history by the Saxons themselves, uh, so the Saxon Chronicles are very uh, silent about Ethelfled's achievements other than uh, to acknowledge that she is Edward's sister. Uh, so it's very much Dang played her role. Um, so Callum and I felt that this woman was so great uh, that she was worthy of her own programme. But I think in order for us to bridge the gap from Alfred the Great, uh, the programme we did last week in part three, uh, as I say, who died in 899, and uh, the the arrival of arguably the greatest king England has ever had stands up to serious scrutiny, in my opinion, King Athelstan, um, who, who is uh, the son of Edward the Elder. Uh, we basically uh, cannot really talk about Ethelfled without talking about Edward the Elder, so uh, we will we will cover both. I think before um, Callum and I were discussing this yesterday, because we, we have actually decided that doing some planning and preparation is probably quite a good idea for running a successful programme, um, both of us being rather intense and OCD people. And we were having a discussion, actually, a serious discussion about who could lay claim to being the greatest English woman of all time. Uh, and I think, actually, um, I think, actually, uh, the candidates are, are actually quite modest to be honest with you um i think there's no doubt that the most powerful english woman of all time was victoria 
who who was the who was the queen of England for something like sixty eight years, I think it was, um, and was obviously Empress of India. Um, at that time, Britain had the biggest empire be- seen before or since ever in the world. One third of all the people in the world basically had the queen as their queen, which is uh, quite remarkable. But I, th- I think we both agree that Victoria and herself doesn't deserve, uh, you know, it was more where she happened to be in the right place at the right time uh, rather than her doing anything to deserve being great. So I think actually the candidates are very, very modest. And I think uh, probably on balance, um, I think we both agree, correct me if I'm wrong, that probably we decided on balance that the greatest English woman of all time was Elizabeth I. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think I think you have to, really. You? Yeah. So obviously... Um, but then... Um, you know, we, we dredged all the way back as far as we could into pre-Roman times. And of course, as we discussed last week, Bodicea or Boudica um, is um, a person who's sort of revered. She has her own statue in London. But I don't, I don't, I, I think that's more for being a glorious failure and being um, perhaps someone who's, as I say, perceived with resistance and um, a refusal to bow to Roman pressure rather than anything she did that was truly great. Whereas Ethelfled, um, I think, uh, stands serious scrutiny and, and in many respects um, may be the only queen in history, maybe anywhere, actually. That's an interesting one to... So if anyone has any any views on that. So actually, it's, it's interesting that, um, in fact, it was, it was after after her death that... Um, funnily enough, uh, the, the the sort of successors of the Norman invaders in, in 1066 started writing about her um, 12th century as uh, a poem. Actually, I meant to read out today, which is quite an interesting one, written by John of Malmesbury, I think it was, about Ethelfled and her great courage, etc. So um, we're doing the program today because we think this is a woman that deserves to be known, and we're we're going to tell it. We're going to tell the story, aren't we, Callum? And yeah, uh, we're gonna we're talking about uh, a little joke about having a statue, but who knows? You know, I'm actually I'm actually quite keen to to resurrect some sort of Anglo-Saxon history into perhaps some of the things uh, we are doing ourselves. So there we are. So um, I know that there is a there there already is a, um, a statue of Athelflaed. I, be, I believe it's in Gloucester. Yeah, with um, um, with somebody else though. It's with Athelstan, I think it is. It might, yeah, I think it no, is with I, her nephew. Yeah, I think it's in Tamworth, think, actually. Okay, but I, th- I think what's um, really important for people to know is is um, although we'll be talking about Edward the Elder and Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians, today, and and they were both they were both undoubtedly great people, as was their father. But I think what makes Ethelfled more unique and stand out far more is that obviously in those days, in Christian society, especially. It was very, very hard for a woman to achieve the things that Ethelfled did. And this is at a time where they were at constant war with, with the Vikings, with the Danes. Um, you know, we'll get onto, onto this more in a bit. But Ethelfled led armies into battle herself, was, you know, at least as good a ruler in Mercia as her brother or and her father was even. In, in Wessex. Yeah. I mean, this was just an amazing woman um, in, in every way. She had the respect of everyone in Britain, 
not just in England, in Wales, Ireland, Scotland. Um, just just an amazing woman. And she would have really been a, a fascinating person to meet in real life, I imagine. Yeah, I think um, we're in danger of getting a little bit ahead of ourselves there. So I think we're painting the scene. So Ethelfled was born in the year 871. She was the eldest child of Alfred the Great, the eldest of six. Uh, Edward the Elder was uh, four years younger than her, Callum reliably informs me. Um, and uh, obviously in those days, as Callum says, it was a very, what's the word? <laughs> Male-dominated society, that's the one. A male-dominated society. Patriarchy. Sorry? The patriarchy. That's the one, patriarchy, that's the word. Um, which obviously makes her um, achievements even greater, as as Callum says. So um, uh, when she was about 20, I think, um, she was married off, as was common in those days, to the King of Mercia, who was Ethelred, uh, who's very much portrayed on uh, The Last Kingdom as a very duplicitous, uh, weak, sort of conniving sort of person that wasn't very loyal to his to his wife. Um what historians don't know, and this is because you know because there is insufficient uh, facts and insufficient detail in the chronicles, is that um, there is a school of thought that says that Mercia was in many respects a vassal kingdom of Wessex at this time, um, and there are historians who believe that Ethelfled was effectively, uh, you could say, her brother's enabler rather than being a strong, independent ruler in her own rights. So that, obviously that's something that, to some extent, we'll never know. Um, I think I probably have my own views on that, and we'll discuss that a bit later. So um, we have a situation where Edward the Elder... So we, we, going back to the uh, bubbling pot, yes, which we didn't really cover. So when Alfred died, actually, um, there was a two-year hiatus before Edward the Elder was actually dominant... Uh, where um, Alfred the Great's older brother had two sons when he died. And as we discussed last week, uh, the brothers decided between themselves that the survivor would take all, effectively, which is why Alfred became the king, despite there being two surviving sons. Uh, when, of course, um, Alfred died, um, certainly, you know, on, on any proven uh, sort of line of, of right of succession... You could argue that the elder brother's uh, eldest son uh, should have should have taken over as king. Obviously, Alfred uh, may have been a nice man or whatever he was, but he certainly was also um, a strong a strong person who obviously wanted to build a dynasty. So, Alfred did everything he could to make sure that Edward the Elder was lined up to succeed him as the king. But this was very much disputed by Aethelwulf who again is portrayed in the Last Kingdom series as a drinky, sort of an alcoholic isn't he, Callum? He's like an alcoholic, um, conniving... It's, it's Ethel... Sorry? I think it's Ethel Wald, isn't it? Wolf, it is. Ethel Wolf, is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, so hmm. pre I'm pretty sure it's Ethel Wolf. Anyway, so um, if anybody watching this um, wants to correct us, obviously at any time... Uh, you can write in to Aspen Wait and 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 tell us that, but I, uh, it doesn't really matter because um, uh, we're talking about the same person, and uh, we just discuss. It, just we don't. I think it's an F on the end, and he thinks it's a D. So, um, the, the the person the person called Athol thing um, 
it's effectively portrayed on The Last Kingdom as a duplicitous, weak, drinking, alcoholic sort of chap, um, which is probably a, is, is very unfair. Um, I think he probably had every reason to be quite bitter um, and it's generally accepted that um, there was trouble between the different, different parts of the family during uh, Alfred's uh, time. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, Alfred may have been great, but it wasn't all uh, smooth sailing, etc. you know. Um, and in fact, when Alfred died, um, Aetherwolf actually marched to Wimborne, which at that time was a very strategically important place, um, with Wessex very much divided into two parts, sort of, with the, the capital was in Winchester, and you sort of had the east of the kingdom and the west. And so, so Wimborne was very much sort of on the line, in between the two parts, so it's strategically very important, and he sort of basically declared himself king there and had uh, quite a degree of support, actually, mostly from um, nobles that had been dispossessed or diminished by Alfred, and and so for a couple of years there was genuine there was genuine civil war, I suppose, and no no real outcome, uh, and then ironically. Um, Ethelwolf uh, allied himself with the Danish Vikings, who, fully, ironically, had become very concerned about the uh, arrival of the Norse Vikings. So it was quite a situation there. So you actually had the Danish Vikings allying themselves with Saxons uh, through fear of the Norwegian Vikings. And in fact, there was a, a, a great battle, um, and, and Callum might help me out with the name of it because I can't remember what it was, um, where actually uh, Aethelwulf's side, including the Vikings, actually triumphed over the uh, Edward the Elder Saxons, um, but uh, a tremendous number of their side were slain, including Aethelwulf himself. Um, and yeah. so, uh, we who knows what history would have done if that um, hadn't happened? So probably uh, the show about Athelstan would never have taken place, quite possibly. But take it place it will, because... Uh, the pretender to the throne was killed and Edward the Elder was left um, yeah. with, with unrivaled succession, let's call it that, and, and, and that's how it proved. So um, so just sort of carrying on before we bring Callum in. So um, effectively, um, just to sort of bring you people up to date, so we've got Ethelfled having, having married the King of Mercia and then it's not known for sure, but about 10 years after their marriage, um, it's believed that Ethelred himself uh, became ill or diminished in some some way. On the Last Kingdom, he's he's shown as uh, having received a, a a very serious head wound, isn't he? Um, yeah. But of course, you know, as one of the things that's a problem with watching um, drama uh, is is of course the Last Kingdom is is historically inaccurate. So, for instance, it's got the chronology of Edward the Old Elder's wives all out of sync, and they've made uh, drama out of of the things, whereas in fact there wasn't really any, you know. Uh, I think yeah. to, to to be fair, this uh, so much of history history is ambiguous. I think part part of the fun from the writer's point of view must be filling in the blanks in a way that they think is most entertaining for the viewer. Um, and and to be fair to them, I think most of the things that are set in stone in history, they obviously do follow. Anything that's ambiguous, they sort of have free reign over, don't they? Which must be quite fun from a writer's point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, yeah, as you said, um, things like Ethelred taking a knock on the head—that's that was just you know trying to make the best storyline possible in the show. We 
all we know is that he went on sort of a decline a few years before his death and then ultimately died, leaving um, leaving Ethelred. Yes, yeah, so Ethelfled. so just to, so as, as we say, that it, it's generally believed that Ethelfled effectively became the ruler of Mercia somewhere around 902. Uh, that's generally what's considered. So effectively, she became the de facto ruler uh, for about nine years before she became the properly crowned uh, ruler in 911. Uh, so that's what it's generally believed. And of course, um, when Ethelred actually died, um, the fact that Ethelfled was, was, I think, unanimously chosen by the Witten to replace her husband was, as Callum says, a, a remarkable achievement in a patriarchal society where there was no precedent for, for such a thing taking place. Um, and as Callum says, I think what's even more remarkable is um, is how she then behaved. And I think one of the things that's quite interesting, which again, which actually is is covered quite well um, in the Last Kingdom, albeit, of course, in the Last Kingdom, Ethelfled's supposed to be in love with Uthred. Um, and uh, one of the things that uh, Ethelfled does in the Last Kingdom to uh, show her commitment to uh the people of Mercia and how sincere she is um, in in taking her duties as a woman very seriously is she basically takes a, a vow of chastity, which is actually true. So in real life, she actually did do this. Um, and it, it's generally considered that after she had uh, her only child, who was a daughter, uh, El Gifu, um, that she basically took a vow of chastity and she did that um, because it was very important in the time that she demonstrated to um, her subjects, you know, that she was chaste and uh, so on and so forth. So, so it's, it's, it's quite interesting. So, um, in terms of, so we've got a situation where we've now got um, brother and sister ruling uh, the, the two main kingdoms in uh, England. So, what had happened to the Vikings at this time, Callum? Sorry, I. I need to fill in some facts for for the viewers okay. so I, I did it was it was ethelwald he his name was ethelwald okay. um Al, alfred's nephew who um who had a revolt against uh edward um and and the battle you were referring to was the battle of the holm that's right yeah. um as you said at the battle of the holm even though they won ethelwald died and so did king eric who was um possibly the king of the east anglian danes um so bring on. So what, what was your question? What was <laughs> happening with the Vikings? What was happening with the Vikings? Well, it's interesting because when... obviously we left. We in in eight nine nine. We 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 left it where um, obviously Alfred had this resounding victory. Um, had basically subjugated the Vikings. There was a, a period of quite a lot of peace. Twenty years of peace, you know, near peace. So basically, what what happened when he died? We, I think we talked earlier about the fact that um, there, we had the Norwegian Vikings coming in and they were. Uh, they had their own agenda, perhaps, to the incumbent, mainly Dan- Danish Vikings. Yeah, well, I think it, I think it's Im- important to mention that um, actually before Ethelred died. So um, Ethelred and, and Edward the Elder, before before he was king, actually had very successful battles together. Um, they had major roles in um, fighting off the Viking attacks in the eight nineties. Um, and they fortified places like Worcester, you know, very, very successfully. Um, 
when Ethelred died, um, as you said, um, Ethelfled was, was, was fully embraced. Um, what her and uh, Edward did very successfully together, I, I mentioned last week that they, uh, that Alfred built a series of burrs. Mm. They took um, the defence of England very, very seriously. So they, um, they expanded all the burrs, they, they fortified them. And what they did very, very cleverly, rather than um, just sort of thinking, oh, you know, if we have a treaty with these Danes, um, you know, we'll hope they, they stick to it. What they did, they would build massive fortifications on the borders of every single Saxon Dane territory. And then they would leave an entire army there. So at any time, if on any border, if any of the Vikings tried to invade, there would be an entire army ready. And actually, it was, it's really, really successful because what we were talking about at the at, when Alfred was young, as we were talking about last week, the majority of the battles between the Saxons and the Vikings, the Saxons lost mm -hmm. probably, you know, eight out of ten. Whereas by this point, really, it's like eight out of ten battles the Saxons are winning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, in um, a short amount of time, sort of like 50, 60 years, the tables have really turned. And this is all thanks, obviously, to uh, to Alfred's um, brain and mind and planning. And then Edward and Ethelfled were both brilliant in carrying this on. And I said it's really um, it was it was a joint effort, as you said earlier. There's um, a lot of dispute whether you know was Ethelfled really Queen of Mercia or uh, and the sole ruler was was she you know was she more a puppet of Edward? As I said, there, there's a lot of disputes. What we do know is that um, all the coins in Mercia at the time were the same coins that were distributed in Wessex. So this would obviously point more to you know, maybe yeah. maybe she was under overlordship of Edward, but there are several texts that re refer to her as as Queen of Mercia, and I think there are at least at least half of Britain at the time respected her and her power more than Edward's, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I think um, just before I put, pass back to you, I think one thing that I think is really fascinating about this time and about this family in general is that there really is quite a lot of mystery about them. One thing that we can say for certain is that, you know, the majority of them were, were absolutely great minds. Um, you know, Egbert, his grandson Alfred, and Ethelfled, and Edward the Elder. They were all great people. I think what the problem is, is when you come to things like this and very powerful people, is it, it requires a lot of wisdom and maturity sometimes to be surrounded by people that are equally as great as you and not want to be perceived as the greatest one of all. And I think this is where you have a lot of problems. So it's actually very hard to see, actually know what the truth of these matters were. Um, you've got people like William of Malmesbury, who thinks that he, he was, uh, who says that Edward was the, basically the best king up until that point. He actually thinks that he was better than, than Alfred. Mm, mm. Um, Edward was very admired by medieval chroniclers, um, and he he's quoted as saying um, that Edward might have been inferior to his father in the cultivation of letters. Yes, yes. Incomparably more glorious in the power of his rule, which is a really an amazing thing to say. Mm. Um, as I said, I think we've got a case of Edward leading leaving Ethelfled out of it a bit. I, I don't think Ethelfled was too bothered by this because she certainly yeah. cut her own part. 
and especially in the north, the north of Britain um, had much more renown. Um, but yeah, I think also uh, without going too much off topic, I think Edward and and Alfred, it seems like nowadays had some uh, had some disputes between them later on in um, Alfred's life, and I think there's there are some cases as well of Alfred actually downplaying Edward. And, yeah. and um, it's actually what I read that was, was quite interesting was there were some major battles that were won under Edward's rule yeah. later on in Alfred's life. And I don't know whether it was out of jealousy or resentment to his son, but he left them out of the Saxon Chronicle, yeah. which I think is really quite interesting. Okay. Um, just to, um, just to um, so recap, so one of the things that's quite interesting that happened um, when Ethelfled succeeded as effectively the Queen of Mercia is uh, Wessex took over control of London, which until that point had been um, part of Mercia. And from what we from what we know, uh, Ethelfled apparently appears to have acquiesced w- with that. So it's generally considered, I think, it was a bargain struck between brother and sister. And basically, the brother said, "Look, you know, you let me you let me take over London, and I'll support you being the queen," sort of thing. I think. Um, I think uh, the point you make about the coinage, uh, I was reading this myself, I think the point about the coinage is actually quite defining. It's actually quite hard. I mean, obviously, you've got bare facts. One of the things that's difficult about this period is the absence of absolute crystal clear facts. And maybe, mm. probably the likelihood we'll never know, um, yeah, sure. you know what the truth is. Um, the fact that um, I think uh, the, king, the, the, the coins, as you say, of Mercia and... Uh, Wessex said Edward Rex Anglorum or something like that um, you know there are no reported coins that say Ethelfled Regina Anglorum or Regina I think I think Mercia was called Mercina in um, in Saxon um, that would probably point to uh, Wessex being certainly the the senior partner shall we say I think also though was very interesting you know he picked up on the um, the wider British Isles um, point. I think there's, there's, there seems to be very little doubt that regardless of whether uh, Mercia was supposed to be the junior partner to Wessex, um, she clearly achieved a number of successes, including victories and battles, uh, off her own back. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's... I, I, I suspect, you know, I think if I was writing a book about it, I suspect that probably... Um, I think the way that Bernard Cornwall has captured her in the Last Kingdom is probably quite quite near the mark. Um, obviously, you know they start off as uh, she started off as a daughter of Wessex, um, became the Queen of of Mercia, and then I think all the all the evidence would suggest she took that very very seriously uh, and became very very uh, Mercia. Of course, had for a very long time, in fact, being the dominant uh, state in England. So uh, it was it was comparatively recently that Wessex had become the senior partner. And and I think probably that what happened is Ethelfled, maybe just because she couldn't help herself because she was a uh, an alpha woman or whatever, um, you know, she, she definitely um, did the best she could, I think, for Mercia. And I think if we look at uh, the geography of England at this time, Mercia, uh, at the time of Ethelfled's uh, arrival on the scene, had become a diminished kingdom 
and you had uh, the uh, the five towns, the five towns of controlled by the Vikings that all used to be in Mercia, Derby, Stafford, etc., Lichfield, I think is one. Um, and 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 basically, what Athelfled did, I think, as her main mission for the rest of her life was was to push Mercia's boundaries back. And of course, you know, apart from anything else. Um, if you were a poor little Mercian living in, um, I don't know, you know, at, at, at the north of the northern border of the smaller Mercia, it must have been very terrifying because um, you were probably living in constant threat of uh, the Danes coming over the over the hill and and, and slaughtering you, etc. Yeah. So I don't know if you've got yeah. anything to chip in at that point. Yeah, I mean, and and this is why I'm saying about how that both Edward and uh, Athelflaed were so successful in this period because they did fortify their boundaries so so much. And what they would do is they would conquer territories and fortify fortify them. You know, push back a bit more land, fortify it. So to give an example of of how um, good Athelflaed was, in just 917 alone there were three separate invasions of different Viking armies um, and all three of them failed. Um, and that's all down to Ethelfled. So um, Ethelfled sent, sent a massive army to Derby um, <laughs> and fortified the territory around it um, and built a, like, a massive borough there. Um, basically, it made the place absolutely impenetrable. Um, as I said, three massive separate Viking armies completely failed, basically completely whip, um, wiped off the face of the earth, all because of how effective Ethelfled was as a military commander. It's, it's um, really, it's really interesting. Got several um, uh, notable historians that de- describe her as a renowned, competent war leader from every single source we we have oh. of her. And and what's what's very interesting as well is that there's um. One of the most reliable texts for Ethelfled at the time is called the Three Fragments, and it was um, it was a text that wasn't written by you know Wessex or anybody in Wessex, and and um, in it recounts how in 918 she led an army uh, of combined Scots, Mercians, and Northumbrian English against a Norse Viking leader called the Ragnar at the Battle of Corbridge in Northumbria, um, and obviously. This is quite ambiguous, but I mean, the very fact that she obviously led a, a group of Scotsmen that the Scots would have um, been happy for her to lead along, you know, and the Northumbrians all together just goes to show that she must have commanded so much respect, you know, um, to, you know, to combine all those forces is, is, um, is, is amazing. Yeah, I think, um, you know, going back to your point um, about... Um, the respect in which she was held um, outside of Wessex. Um, it's quite interesting, you know. If we it, uh, one of the one of the shows that um, we intend to do in the future is a history of the Welsh kings of the period, um, and um, there were three really um, dominant kings in Wales at the time. Uh, one of the whom was Huel Dar, who in fact is our direct paternal grandfather, about thirty three times removed um and they the three great welsh kings all paid homage to alfred um and it would appear that they then uh, did so to ethelfled and certainly uh what's interesting is the greatest um historical evidence of ethelfled's achievements 
actually comes from the chronicles of the Welsh and the Irish uh, more than it does uh, from within. And as we say, it was only actually after her death, many years afterwards, where people started to take uh, a lot of interest in her. I think the Victorians did as well. So what what we have is we have this... Um, I said to Callum yesterday, one of the things that would be really... Again, I guess we'll never know this. One of the things that would be wonderful uh, to observe or, or to know is how how actually you know how active was she in these battles you know did she if you if you if you go on to youtube and you watch the now many programs about Ethelfled that are available they have this woman wearing this sort of goldy bronzy helmet you know with a chain mail all over her head etc i mean is that actually what she did or was it more like wellington at waterloo where she was sat on a horse you know at the top of the hill watching watching uh, her troops what do you think yeah, it's a hard it's a hard one to answer. Um, I think that she must have been able to handle herself to a certain extent. If 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 that wasn't the case, then I don't think that her uh, that her as an intelligent woman and her advisors would have even would have let her get so close to such dangerous battles. I mean, she led ev- she led every every single battle that she went into, or that Mercia went into. She led it. You know, and, and this isn't. Yeah, but what does, that, what does that mean, though? What does that mean? This is this is the point. What does leading mean? You know. Well, this is where this is where I'm get, I'm going with it. But so I think that you can definitely say she would have at least been able to handle herself to an extent. Now, I think, I think personally, she must have at least um, got involved with the with the physicality aspect of it mm-hmm. to, to a certain extent. I think that she she must have. Um, I, I don't see how she could have been witness to so many dozens of, of battles and never once been put in a situation where she would have to, you know, kill or be killed. So that, that's my personal view. I think that she would have, um, you know, probably wore, you know, sim- similar garb to what uh, um, the male soldiers would have worn, um, but just made appropriate for her. Um wouldn't have, she wouldn't have been able to carry as much heavy equipment, I'm sure, unless she was um, an extremely large woman. But I mean, there's, there's never any mention of that. So I think she would have worn, you know, um, thick thick leather leather armor, things like that. Maybe some some chainmail. Um, but she certainly would have known how to handle herself. Hmm. Yes, well, I suppose we'll never know, will we? Um, I suppose in those days, the way they fought, it's probably unlikely that she um, she was entirely like Wellington. So I, I, I suspect there was some element of um, of getting your hands. I, I, I also think that the the fact that so many warrior cultures, like the Scots, you know, the the Irish, the Welsh, the Vikings themselves, and all of um, all of the Saxons, respected her so much, and these were warrior cultures. I, I think that one of the ways that she would have attained this respect would have been through some sort of, you know, through to a certain extent, through martial prowess of her herself, as well as just her armies. Hmm. I think that, without saying, great warriors respect other great warriors. They don't, you know, they don't necessarily respect the greatest politicians and that, you know. Um, they respect power and might, yes, but uh, in terms of individual respect, which she has masses of, it's often given by warriors to other oh. great warriors, isn't it? Yes. So this is good proof. 
what else do we know about um you know any great sort of administration or uh the sort of you know non battle side of her role have we got any anything on that um well, well all we know is that she was um you know a great politician in this respect she she didn't seem to ever ruffle anybody's feathers i don't think there's uh, there's any accounts of her um sort of having a fallout with anyone apart from maybe um the welsh there isn't there is an account of how i think some um some welsh people hmm. uh, raided their borders or something at some point and she she sent an army into wales and basically <laughs> burnt a load of villages and <laughs> and um sort of sent all the welsh running um i mean apart from that i think i think that both her and edward as, as we were saying about Alfred uh, and also about Egbert, they, they carried on his vision about wanting to make a more unified Britain. And they were both working towards that as well as their individual fame. So um, I think that they very, very consciously built themselves a very, very good reputation. Um, didn't have many disputes, didn't let themselves get too petty. Um, Obviously, uh, what's important to, to note is that Edward sent his son Athelstan to Mercia um, to live under Ethelfled, and this would have been important for everyone for several reasons. Obviously, Edward was looking at the long game, and yet again, like like his father, being very a cerebral man, he was thinking, well, Athelstan's going to be loved by the by the people of Wessex because he was born in Wessex because he's my son, but as he gets older, the people of Mercia will be far more likely to accept him as king um, if he grows up in Mercia, because obviously by then, by the time he comes of age, they'll see him almost as a Mercian themselves, and they will have got to know him. You know, he, he, Ethelstan would have been taught as a young man, you know, how to handle himself in, in court and things like that, so he would have been taught to, you know, be charismatic and, and to get on, to be likeable. So I think I think that, that's interesting to mention. Um and this, this set up, obviously, Athelstan then being such a successful king of all of the Anglo-Saxons. Yeah, I think I think um, you know, in, the, in the remaining uh, 15 minutes or so of today's programme, I think um, uh, it's probably worth going back to Edward. So uh, Edward the Elder actually remarkably had 14 children, which is uh, quite something, by three separate wives. Uh, again, in the last kingdom, uh, the... the uh, uh, the, the the series shows him as having two wives, effectively, with the first wife being displaced by the second one, uh, Athelstan being uh, the son of the first wife and effectively becoming uh, illegitimate in some respects. That's how... And in fact, uh, in real life, we believe that um, some people disputed uh, Athelstan's right to become the king because, uh, there, because of the stories, uh, the political intrigue that took place about you know about who who got married where and what in what place and was it done properly and all this, but what um, what actually happened properly in history is uh, Edward's first wife actually died in uh, about the same time as Alfred actually, um, and uh, of the fourteen children, I think something like uh, six of them were by the first wife, and then. Um, uh, the lady who's shown as being properly married to um, Edward in the Last Kingdom is the second wife. Um, and then um, 
I can't remember the name of 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 wife three, but um, what's very interesting is is he has fourteen children. Um, as you rightly say, um, Athelstan was in fact the eldest, uh, the eldest child. And then uh, the the people that succeeded him um, were uh, all uh, progeny of the third wife. So ev- every single uh, every single sibling of the middle wife uh, all predeceased uh, the likes of Eadred, e- e- um, who became king um, after Athelstan, for instance. So um, you know, quite quite an interesting little setup there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so Ed, Edward's third wife, just so you know, her name was Eadgifu, which is quite an interesting name, mm-hmm. E-A-D-G-I-F-U, and she was the daughter of Sieghelm, who was an elderman of Kent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, yeah, that was that was probably quite an important um, strategic uh, alliance uh, that, um, that Edward had there. I think, um, so I think yeah. you know, it was, it's quite interesting there in terms of uh, the succession uh, so we've got all these these fourteen children, um, most of whom died quite early on. You know, probably before they were twenty five or so. I see. What interesting one! I know. I noticed that one of the the sons of the middle wife was drowned at sea. Uh, so that may be something to look up as a fact in, in, in later. Sorry, Edwin. Edwin her name was. <laughs> now the one who died at sea was a man. Oh, okay. Sorry, it's a bloke called Edwin then. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I think there's very little doubt. Um, we're talking about you know who who you know whether whether um, whether Ethelfed was genuinely a queen or was she more like a vassal uh, overlord to uh, Wessex. One thing which is I think no one disagrees about is they did definitely um, strategically ally. And their goals were common, so they were, they were both, yeah. they were both fighting together against a common foe with a sort of a joined-up strategy. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would, and I, I, I think um, Ethelfled was actually very clever, and maybe being a woman played to her strengths in this regard. Is I, I think a lot of men would pro- maybe be too proud to relinquish London like she did. But Ethel Fled was looking at the big picture and I think that she realised that she had such a rare opportunity as it was to be, you know, Queen Queen of Mercia, the overlord of Mercia as it was. And I think that she didn't really care about giving, you know, London to to Edward. I think um what she knew she she had faith in herself that she would make Mercia great and, and forge an a, a reputation that was at least as good as Edwards, and that's exactly what she did. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's, um, I think that's, I think that's very interesting. I think, yeah, again, it goes to say a lot about the woman. Yeah, and then you know, I think, um, saying, I, I think it's quite interesting because um, as we get, as, as you've taken us sort of to the end of um, Ethelflaed's reign, um, she had this uh, amazing uh, couple of years, the last years of her life, really, where. Uh, she was amazingly triumphant in a number of major battles, um, advanced um, across uh, northern England, really, and Wales, uh, with a, a number of spectacular victories. Um, and then just really when 
she was really in the ascendant. And again, you know, it was interesting. You know, we were talking about um, Aetherwold. Uh, uh, now we now we, we can properly name him. Uh, Aetherwold, you know, could easily have spoilt uh, Edward the Elder's party. Um, who knows what would have happened if if Ethelfled had lived another ten years? You know, she she had maybe you know we, no again we won't know. She was arguably the number one. Um, what do you call them? Battle lord or a warlord in the whole of Britain? Certainly by nine eighteen, I don't think there's any doubt of that. Uh, I think, no. and I think it's quite interesting. Again, if you look at the Last Kingdom, um, Athelfled is portrayed as this very strong, dutiful, professional, sort of resolute, brave uh, queen, and uh, Edward is is portrayed as a bit of a buffoon, isn't he? He's a bit of a sort of vacillating idiot, you know, and, um, you know, you, yeah. you have the scenes where he's throwing all his men at a heavily fortified camp uh, and, and seeing decimation, and, he, and he's not listening to sense, whereas Ethelfled is, uh, she's the one, um, you know, so Edward the Elder doesn't even turn up at the battle, and he turns up late and uh, so on and so forth. And that's probably um, probably a bit of an exaggeration, but um, yeah. you know the fact the fact that this is sort of survived despite uh, the Anglo-Saxon chronicles clearly hugely favouring Edward the Elder over his sister is 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 is, is obviously quite interesting. And I think um, be interesting to get your point on this. So uh, it's very very sad. Uh, so at the at the at the age of forty eight, which of course was well above uh, the average age for a Saxon at those times, which was 35, as we discussed uh, in the first show, I think. Um, so right at the peak of her powers, just after one of her crowning victories and uh, and the recognition that went with that, uh, she mysteriously died. Uh, there's no uh, proper account of actually what it was that killed her. What is... Um, what I think is very interesting, though, Callum, you know, going back to the point about um, uh, how independent she was, I think one of the things, which, again, which is a fact which tends to point towards more independence rather than less, is um, Ethelfled had a daughter uh, called yeah. Ael Gifu, um, who uh, she she totally lined up to succeed her. Uh, there yeah. was no opposition in in Mercia to that. And in fact, when Ethelfled died, uh, Elgifu was uh, was took over as Lady of the Mercians. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, one thing I I never like this in history, and of course we don't know, you know, we don't know what led up to it. And of course, um, the, the the history books actually are silent about the aftermath of this. All we know is that shortly after Ethelfled's death, Edward the Elder marches into Mercia, effectively captures El Gifu, uh, puts her, we think, into an abbey, but, you know, he might have killed her for all we know. Um, probably unlikely. I don't think there seems to be much thought that he would have done that, but uh, seems to be considered more likely that she's put into an abbey. And, of course, he basically steals her crown, and then uh, at that point from then on, uh, there is no doubt... Uh, who the king is, and it's definitely Edward. Yeah, well, I think um, I think what we were saying earlier about how the Anglo-Saxon chronicle deliberately sort of um, uh, 
you know, it doesn't mention Ethel Flair very much at all and doesn't doesn't give her credit for all of the great things she did in her life. And I think around the time of her death, regardless of Edwards and his court's attempts to make sure that he was still seen as number one, I think the tide was turning and that in, in, in uh, Greater Britain, I think Ethel Flair was, was seen as number one. Um, and I think this, this is evidenced, I mean, by a ridiculous amount of things, but one of the things that's it's definitely, you know, important to mention is literally I think a couple of days before her death she had such successful campaign campaign in Northumbria that all the Northumbrian king that the Northumbrian king and the king of Daneland both were gonna succeed to her rule they were both basically said like you know yeah you've you defeated us time and time again you're clearly better than us militaristically in terms of your brains and everything and she'd also sort of like wooed them so to speak and they they both wanted actually her to be the queen now she died before she could sign you know you know sign on the dotted line and make this all official which is a real shame what's important to mention is after she died they they never made any such offer to edward no ever no well obviously respect um, wasn't it yeah so uh, as i'm saying i think there, there was a you know, the tides were turning. I think, regardless of um, Edward's power over that, what was written in the Anglo-Saxon chronicles, most of Britain was starting to see her as the big cheese, even over him. Whether it was through his choice or through the choice of, um, you know, his his monks and his court, um, I think there was fear was rising probably in Wessex that Mercia was going to become the dominant place again, and that, um, you know. A, a, Ethel Fled being a very intelligent woman, it seemed like she had completely groomed her daughter to take to pick up right where she left off. You know, like a younger version of herself, you know, with a whole life ahead of her was probably maybe a bit of an intimidating prospect for all the men in Wessex. Who also, quite interesting to mention, is uh, it seemed like the people of Wessex were a little bit more patriarchal than um, the people of Mercia. So I think it was quite interesting. So Mercia had a history of if kings died, um, you know, the, the widow could become queen. Whereas that this actually wasn't the case in Wessex. And most of the time, the wife of the, the king wasn't even seen as queen. She was yeah, just yeah. Like wife of the king, which I think yeah. is quite interesting to mention. But either way, yeah, I think that out of fear, um, that is why Edward marched into Mercia and, and took his, his niece and he sent her off to a, to a, a little monastery to worship God for the rest of her life. Go. Yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think fear is the right word. I, I think ambition would be a better word. I mean, I think, I think also, I mean, it's interesting to see whether there's any, um, anybody's written about this. I mean, it just seems to me, you know, in in talking about this, that if you think about uh, who who may have been a loser from um, Ethel Fled's triumphs, you know, as you rightly say, you know, she she basically. Um, had achieved dominance over two notable um, kings, you know, war chiefs. Um, so you, you can't help but wonder whether whether Edward didn't have her poisoned or something. You know, um, mm. I haven't seen anything in in any, I haven't seen anything anywhere that suggests that even as a remote possibility. Have you? No, no. Um, I mean, it's hard to say, isn't it? Uh, me personally, I think that if that was the case. Um, there would be more, at least some sort of um, theory out there of that. I think, you know, 
Ethel Flett had a very, very tight, supportive network of of people around her. Apparently, apparently her thanes absolutely worshipped her. Like they almost saw her as like a goddess. Mm. Um, I think somebody would have had some sort of inkling of it. I didn't know if maybe, and this ties back into earlier about where you were, at, whether you were asking me um, of whether she was a, a warrior herself or just a commander. Maybe this is some evidence that she was, you know, a, a warrior hand to hand in her own right. Um, I mean, at the time, she would have just won major battles, um, which obviously led on to these, you know, the King of Northumbria and the King of the Danes basically saying, you know, we want you now to be our queen. We we submit. Maybe this is evidence that she picked up some sort of wound. Maybe it got infected, um, you know, something like that. Maybe it was a head wound. Maybe she got a wound that was infected and maybe years of um, battle took their toll on her. As you said, there's there's no mention of any sort of disease or anything like that. It just mentions, and the thing is, it must whatever it was, must have been quick because she went from winning battles mm. to dying very quickly. Yes. So it wasn't like she had a long, prolonged illness. You can't march around England on horseback if you're dying. You know, <laughs> it's, you, just, you just can't do that, obviously. It's too tiring. I just think it's too tiring. Not in the way that she was, you know, not in the way that she would have been doing. It would have been too, too hard on her. Um, so I think that her cause of death, it was something that came on very, very quickly. And I think that this is evidence, personally, evidence more of some sort of injury rather than illness. You know, whether it was a head injury, as I said, or an infection. I said, you've got to remember, people have been very prone to infections in these days. If you've got a nasty, a nasty slash that at first seemed superficial... And it got infected, you know. You unfortunately, there's a good chance you're going to die. Yeah, and as we discussed before, I mean, uh, 48 uh, in itself was actually quite a ripe age uh, in those mm. days. Although, um, once once you got to uh, the sort of age of 30, 35, I think the life expectancy was, you know, was reasonably decent. And there are there there are quite a few people living around this time, um, kings and things who who become 70, for instance. So. Uh, of course, you know we'll 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 never know. So uh, you know, I think the second greatest English lady of all time, uh, Ethelfled, mm. Queen of uh, Lady of the Mercians, uh, eight seventy one to to nine nineteen, uh, is is a person who deserves her place in the sun. Uh, a, a remarkable woman operating in a particularly difficult time in history, violent. Um, uh, plotting sort of culture uh, where uh, the week the week didn't last two seconds and you had to be incredibly resourceful I think resourceful intelligent and strong and decisive to succeed so the fact that a woman managed to do that and I think you know maybe with something we'll talk about uh, next week when we come on to Athelstan um, certainly no doubt that without Ethelfled uh, England would never have become a reality. So I think she she also um, plays quite a big supporting role in in England today becoming a country. Obviously, without her yeah. without her victories again, uh, and I suppose in many respects, regardless of of whether she was more or less important than Edward the Elder, uh, without her, Edward the Elder wouldn't have been able uh, to become as powerful as he was by the time of his death. And certainly, when it comes to getting on to next week, with um, as I say, uh, maybe the greatest king ever of England, Athelstan, debate and discuss. 
um, you know, the, 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 the route to his great success was very much paved, not just by Ethelfled, I think, but by the joint successes of uh, Ethelfled and Athelstan's father, Edward. Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. Um, I, you know, as, as you said, it was a complete joint effort between the two of them. I don't think either of them would have been able to accomplish what they did without each other. I mean, for example, around Ethelfled's death, the time of Ethelfled's death, um, Edward at the time was conquering all the southern Danes. So all of southern Dane law, Edward was conquering that. Now, I don't think Edward would have been able to concentrate on the southern Danes and conquer that if Ethelfled obviously wasn't taking care of everyone in uh, maybe the north of Dane or making them all to submit to, to her and vice versa. So they obviously, to an extent, had a, had a good relationship. Um, so I think Edward probably tried to, you know, you know, throw his weight around a little bit. But I think on the whole, they probably a good understanding between them as siblings. And I think one thing that's really nice, and, and it just goes to show how likable Ethelfled is, in my opinion, even to this day, was she was so diplomatic, even in death. Um, she chose to be buried at uh, Gloucester mm. Minster, um, which is which was seen at the time. It might seem like, you know, like a like a random statement but it was at the time it was right on the border of Wessex and Mercia and this that she chose that place it's believed because it showed the solidarity between the Mercians and the people of Wessex um the people of, of the, the, the Mercian royalty weren't usually buried there they were they were buried you know more into the heart of Mercia I'm sorry to butt in and but I think you'll find Ethelred was they both were yeah exactly yeah, Ethelred, and yeah, but she she could have chose not to be buried there if she she. I know, but to. I think I don't think it's that unusual that she chose to be buried at Gloucester myself. Well, uh, from from what I've read about it, anyway, is it said that she understood that if she was buried where all the traditional rulers of Mercia were buried, it would almost be seen as a sign of defiance, maybe against Wessex, would have ruffled some feathers. By, by choosing to be buried where, where, as you said, Ethelred was in Gloucester, it was a sign of unity between the people of Wessex and the, and the people of Mercia, which, as I said, in my opinion, shows that, you know, what, what sort of, um, you know, what a big person she was and makes her very likeable to me, you know? <laughs> right. And, and I think it's also important to mention just, just really quickly that she was buried next to um, the bones of St. Oswald, who were, mm. in Christian society, were, you know, these were religious relics of, of great power you know they were to the christians th- these were like you know more 10 times more valuable than gold so the fact that she was buried next to um, the bones of a saint um goes to show you know how highly she was thought of by the people that placed her there so i, I tried to finish the program there but callum wasn't letting me um so um i think uh, i think it's quite a difficult job um doing a a program on i think today's was the most challenging uh program we've done because um uh you know on, on the one hand i think uh ethelfled uh is is worthy of an accolade of probably the second greatest english woman of all time but uh there is a, a dearth of huge amount of facts uh about her so um it does make it quite difficult to talk about her for a very long time so i think um i think you did a very good job today callum so um Thank you ever so much, as usual, for your input. Uh, I think next week's going to be really good fun with Athelstan because, uh, you know, we're effectively talking about the first person that really was the king of the English. 
so we're going to have an, unser- uh, an, an almost uh, complete one hour of complete victory after victory. Um, just as well there wasn't a World Cup in those days because we probably would have lost to the Germans on penalties in 950 or something. So uh, damn football, eh? Um, anyway, so thanks for tuning in today. Um, thank you uh, also for all the very positive feedback uh, we've been getting about uh, how much you like uh, the interaction between the Viking and myself. Uh, we both try very hard to do our best. Um, we're always learning all the time, so we're striving to do better and better programs. Um, so we both wish you a lovely weekend. Um, hope the weather improves. Uh, and we'll see you next week with part five, which will all be about Athelstan, the first king of English. Thank you. Bye.